The very first thing that we need to recognize about rejoicing, maybe, uh, and about suffering is that we are not alone. We're not alone in the suffering that we endure. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We need to understand that we have not been singled out above all people all over the world to go through the suffering that we are facing. The trials and the turmoils that we go through, we're not just sitting here while everybody else is walking in a rose garden and, and just rolling around in a tub of butter. They're all having good lives and it's all wonderful and they never hurt and they never have pain and, and here we are over here just suffering. And that's sometimes how it can feel. We become so myopic when we're going through difficult times uh, we become so short-sighted, so self-centered that we neglect the fact that this is part of life. This is part of being a Christian. This is what's going on everywhere. Look around you. You're looking at people who are suffering. They may not go through the exact thing that you're going through right now, and, and maybe right now is a good time for them. But all of us go through stuff. Everybody suffers sometimes. And we need to understand that we are not alone. God hasn't singled us out. Satan hasn't even singled us out. This is just what life is. And when we look around, we need to recognize that we are just one sufferer among many. So we can band together and help one another. I think about Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Hebrew writer said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses, people who have gone through suffering and yet come out on the other side, he says, let us lay aside our sins. The problem is when we begin to think that we're the only ones and we become so self-centered that all we can see is ourselves and our own suffering, generally what we do is we turn to sin to try to overcome. And what the Hebrew writer says is, understand, look at all the others who've gone through this and made it through it. And because of that encouragement, lay aside every weight and encumbrance and sin, just as these others have done. We can look back in chapter 11, beginning at verse 36, or let's back up to verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept their release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. It does us some good to look around at what others who have been in our number have suffered and what they've gone through. And I realize that, that knowing that somebody else has a splinter in their finger doesn't necessarily make your splinter hurt any less. I understand that. But it can help us in a couple of ways. Number one we may begin to realize that what we're suffering is not quite so bad after all. I've not ever been sawn in two. And I can imagine that that would be 
a great deal more suffering than I've gone through. But secondly, we can look at the fact that they went through this suffering and they came out on the other side and they were resurrected to a better life. And that's what we're looking for. And we can see that if they could do it, so can we. And so we need to recognize that we're not alone as we suffer. And because of that, we can rejoice even though we're suffering. We can understand that this is part of life and we are going to make it just like those who've gone before us have made it. The second thing that we need to recognize is that the suffering that we endure indicates that God's Spirit is with us. Sadly, when we suffer, we have a tendency to believe that means God has abandoned us. But what Peter points out is that our suffering indicates that God is actually with us. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We recognize that this passage, I think, is dealing primarily with the idea of the persecution and the oppression. And it points out that when we are going through that, when folks see how we live, and because of that begin to mock us or persecute us or cause us any kind of problems as Christians, we recognize that's an indication that God is with us. But I'd like us to expand this a little bit and recognize that if Satan looks at you and says, I need to cause a little bit of suffering so that they might turn from God, then the suffering may not look exactly like persecution. Maybe it is some kind of sickness. Maybe it is like what Job went through. Maybe it's a family turmoil. Maybe it's a loved one has, has died. When Satan is putting that kind of effort in your life to try to get you to turn from God, I want you to remember what that means. That means Satan knows that you're with God. Satan knows God is on your side. He's trying to get you to believe that God has abandoned you, but that's just not the case. When we are suffering as Christians, whether it be because of persecution or because the adversary is turning his gaze upon us, as he did with Job long ago, we can recognize this is an indication not that God has abandoned us, but God is with us. And when we recognize that, we can rejoice. Suffering gives us opportunity to truly commit ourselves to God as Jesus did in His suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 23, when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. When we go through the suffering, we have this opportunity to commit ourselves to God even more recognizing that God is with us. And so, in fact, we don't need to despair when we're suffering. Rather, that's an opportunity for rejoicing because we know God is with us. Instead, when we need to despair is if there is no suffering. If nothing ever goes wrong, if nobody ever treats us badly, if nothing ever negative happens in our lives, well, that's an indication that nobody can tell we're living for Christ and that's an indication that Satan's not worried about whether we're on his side or not. Luke chapter 6, verse 22 says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. 
But in verse 26, he says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. We can rejoice because we realize that when we face that suffering, that's an indication that we really are with God and God really is with us. And he will carry us through it if we will stay in his hands. The third thing that we can understand about our suffering is that our suffering helps improve the genuineness of our faith. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, Peter said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We can rejoice with that joy despite the trials that we're going through because we know that the trials improve the genuineness of our faith. This passage says that these trials are a test. But as we've learned in the past, this is not a test like when you go to school to see how good you're doing now so that you can say, okay, I got an A and I passed. This is not an issue of testing to see whether we pass or fail. This is testing like you test gold. You place gold in the fire and it heats up and the junk that's inside it comes to the top. What's the purpose of doing that? So you can easily find the junk that's inside it and skim it off the top and you increase the genuineness of the gold. When it talks about us being tested by our trials, it's not that God's throwing this trial down in front of us to see how good we are and, oh boy, I sure hope I pass. Oh, absolutely not. The issue of the test is to see where the slag is, to see where the problems are, to let the struggles come to the surface, to let the weaknesses rise to the top so we can really see where we need to work. The fact is, if God did not allow us to go through suffering, we would not grow. If God did not allow us to endure trials and tribulations, we could not become like Jesus. Because we'd never know what we have to work on. We'd go through life and think everything was just okay and we're doing pretty good on our own. You may remember some time ago the lesson that we had about the apostles as they were on that boat and that storm came up and Jesus was sitting in the the stern of the boat asleep. When did they realize how much they needed Jesus? Not while the water was smooth. Not while everything was calm. They realized they needed Jesus when the storm came. And it's the storms and it's the trials and the tribulations that cause those weaknesses to come to the top that remind us, oh, that's where I need to work if I'm going to be more like Jesus. When the suffering hits, if you become mean and hateful, you begin to realize, oh, this is where I need to work. When the trials and tribulations happen and and, and you become arrogant and prideful, you realize, this is where I need to work. This is what I've got to work on. The language turns south. You're like, oh, that's what I need to work on. The rage heats up. Oh, that, this is where I've got to grow. Sadly, all too often, we allow the trials to be an excuse for those things, and we don't work on them. That's not why God lets us go through trials. He lets us go through trials and tribulations so that we can see those things and skim them off the top so that we can be more like Jesus. No wonder Romans 5, beginning at verse 3, Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, says we can rejoice in our sufferings. It says in Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can rejoice in our sufferings because we know what these sufferings cause for us. They cause growth. They cause endurance. Perseverance. Improvement. And therefore hope. Understand this. If God removed all the suffering from your life, He would not be doing you a favor. We don't need to pray that suffering be removed. We need to pray that we can learn the lessons and grow and endure. Because that's where hope is. And so we can rejoice because we know that suffering will improve the genuineness of our faith. We can rejoice because suffering is only for a little while. It doesn't always seem just like a little while for us, but, but it is just for a little while. In fact, again, First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved, by various trials. And then in chapter 5 and verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. All the suffering that we're dealing with here is really only momentary in the eternal scope. I was thinking about this this morning. I forgot to have this put in the in the, the bulletin, but uh, on Friday I got called and they found a, a tumor in my granddad's lung and some lesions, and tomorrow they're running some tests to, to see if it's cancerous. Uh, he's in his 90s, and I got to talk to him on Friday, and he pointed out that uh, he's ready if that's, if that's what's going to happen. If he's got cancer and he's going to die, he says, you know, I'm ready for that. And what I was thinking about this morning, I guess because I was thinking about this lesson, I was thinking about that going on with him, you know, I look at I look at right now at at age thirty six, and um, now I look at being in my nineties, and that just seems, man, that just seems so far away. That just seems like a long time. And if I were to have sixty years of of suffering and turmoil and trouble and and repeated problems, boy, that just seems like a long time. But you know, I, I remember that when I was ten, that when I looked at thirty-six, I thought, man, that's old. That's forever away. That's not ever going to happen. And I look back on the last thirty-six years, and that's that. I, I know when we look out to that future, it seems like it's such a long time. But you, you know, when we get to the end there and we look back, we're going to be able to recognize, you know, it hadn't been that long. It really, hadn't been that long. Seems like it's just flashed. And then when we get to heaven, and we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, and there's no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, we're going to realize that 80 to 90 years of trouble down here really wasn't all that long. It's hard to see it right here on this side, I know. No matter how old we are, I know it's hard to look at any length of time of going through that, especially if we're going through the suffering right now. One day seems like an eternity. But we need to understand that when we are actually in eternity, it won't seem that way anymore. 
And would we rather have 80 to 100 years of trouble and turmoil with an eternity of comfort and encouragement and joy and bliss? Or would we rather have 80 years to 100 years of fun and enjoyment and pleasure and just doing whatever feels good at the time and then an eternity of torment and agony and trouble and turmoil? We can rejoice when we're going through what we're going through because it's only a little while. There's one thing that I learned from my father-in-law. When he said it, it kind of, I just thought, okay, man, you say this every time, but the more I think about it, if, if trouble had hit, he would always say, this too shall pass. And we can rejoice when we remember that. This too shall pass. I want you to think about our sister Claire. We're mourning because of our loss. But she's with God right now. And she can walk without trouble. And she can see and she can hear without trouble. And she can remember everything without trouble. She's beginning to realize what Paul said. That when we get there, we'll understand why all this happens down here. And we'll realize that the glory that's revealed in us is not even worthy to be compared with anything that we've gone through down here. And we can rejoice because while we're suffering, we can know that's what's coming next. We can rejoice because when we suffer, we're following in the footsteps of our older brother Jesus. We can rejoice because we, we know we're not alone. There's other folks among us who go through this, but our great example, that's what he went through. He suffered. And we're like him when we suffer. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and 22 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. Excuse me, verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. We're following in His footsteps when we suffer. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Beginning at verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. We recognize that when we suffer, that means God's Spirit is with us. When we suffer, that means we're following in Jesus' steps and we're like Him and we're His servants. If we're not suffering, that's an indication that we're not Jesus' servants if we don't ever suffer. We're following in His footsteps. But I want you to notice this. That the example that Peter talks about of Jesus is just what we said a moment ago, suffering for a little while and then glory. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. Talk about the prophets inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Suffering for a little while then glory. Chapter 1, verse 21. Who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He died, He suffered, but He was raised to glory. Verse 4 of chapter 2. As you come to Him a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Yes, there's suffering, but with God, then comes glory. And in chapter 3 and verse 18, he reminds us of the suffering of the world and the salvation that came. And he talked about Jesus in verse 21 where he says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. Yes, He suffered, but then came glory. And when we follow in Jesus' footsteps with suffering, we will follow in Jesus' footsteps with glory. We can rejoice. We can rejoice when we suffer because we know what's coming. We can rejoice when we suffer, especially when our suffering is caused by others and their sin. Because we know that there's only two outcomes for them. They will either repent and become as us, forgiven, or they will be judged. I think sometimes we struggle with the suffering when it's caused by somebody else because we're just afraid that they're going to get away with things. But God judges justly and nobody just gets away with things. They either are broken as we have been and come into God's presence and receive forgiveness as we, as we have, or they will be judged. First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How is it that they're going to glorify God on the day of visitation, that day of judgment? They're going to glorify God because by that time they've repented. They're not going to be in despair and they're not going to be in agony. They're going to glorify God on that day because having seen our good works, having seen our patience through tribulation and trial, they were moved and came to repentance. Chapter 4 and verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That's spiritually dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they, may, they might live in the spirit the way God does. 
What happens? The gospel is preached to them. And they put off that man of the flesh. It's judged and put away. But they live by the Spirit. They've changed. They repent. But those who don't, chapter 4 and verse 4 says, with respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Nobody gets away. And so we can rejoice. We can rejoice that those who cause us oppression will either repent and come around and they'll stop doing that, or God will judge them. And we don't have to. That's why we don't have to offer up vengeance. That's why we don't have to get stressed about whether or not anybody else is getting away with anything. Because we can let God be God and we can let God do His job and we'll just stay down here and do ours. And let God take care of all of that. And finally, we can rejoice. We can rejoice even while we're suffering with joy inexpressible because as almost every single one of these points has led us to see, we can see the salvation coming in the end. There in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 6, it pointed out that for a little while we suffer these various trials as if we're gold placed in the fire. Verse 8, it says, Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Because we can see with every moment of suffering that we endure, that we continue through, that we rejoice in, we can see that salvation coming closer and closer and closer. Again, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 that we read just moments ago. Do you remember what he said? He said, suffer for a little while. But after we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When we've suffered, we realize that's what's coming. God Himself will be there with you, confirming, restoring, strengthening, and establishing. And He has dominion forever and ever. This message is taught throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, Paul had completed his first missionary journey and decided instead of going directly back to Antioch in Syria, that he was going to go back through those cities. And as he went back through those cities, he strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That, brethren, that is not saying that it just happens to be coincidental that on your trip to the kingdom of God you're going to go through many tribulations. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that it is through tribulations. Without tribulations, you don't enter the kingdom of God. It is through those tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. And so as we go through that, we see the salvation that is coming. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, it says, If we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. 
And then, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This is 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. As preached in my gospel, verse 9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with Him, we'll also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. Remember the letters to the churches in Asia and Revelation in chapter 2 and chapter 3? How many times did they say, to Him who overcomes? Overcome. There's something going on here. There's an attack. There's battle. But to Him who overcomes, there's blessing, glory, and salvation. We can rejoice because we see the salvation. If you want to be able to rejoice as you consider what Peter has said, let me just give you one key. Quit looking at yourself. Ground, look up, and look ahead. Because when you do that, you can rejoice no matter what's going on in your life. Because all this stuff is not about right now. It's about eternity. Brothers and sisters, for us, eternity will be amazing. Anybody else want to go there? That's where we're headed.